Hey folks, it's me, John, and welcome to another episode of Saul Searching, only on the FYIZ podcast feed. This time my guest is my friend Bob Rose, who pops in to help me break down the latest episode of Better Call Saul. That's the third episode of the sixth season called Rock and Hard Place, and it was written and directed by Gordon Smith. And now, here's Saul Searching. Bob, thank you for coming on Saul Searching. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I, you and I have, over the years, we've talked about a shared love of Bob Odenkirk, and I believe we've commented when we've just talked about general things of quality, that we've talked about the Breaking bad averse or the Vince Gilligan, Peter gold averse or whatever we want to call it. But I don't really know how how like religious of a viewer you've been with Better Call Saul, but I you know I'd love I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Just what what's your orientation towards the the Breaking Bad Better Call Saul universe of storytelling? So yeah, I uh, I came late to Breaking Bad. I watched I I binged all of Breaking Bad about three years after it ended. So that can tell you I was not there for the phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could say the same. And I love Breaking Bad. I do. I it's not. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't put it even in my top five shows. But it's a great show, and I totally respect it, and I understand the phenomenon. When it comes to Saul, I caught up to Saul during the pandemic. Um, so I would say 2020, I binged seasons one through five. Um, oh wow! So I I've really never been. I've, I'm on your show, and I'm saying I've really never been like a loyal viewer. I am now in this season. This is I've got one last season to prove my loyalty. Um, <laughs> but I binged all of Saul seasons one through five, and I don't know if this is a I don't know what the actual prevailing opinions are on this, but I actually prefer Better Call Saul. It has. Not, it's not because Baking Bad. It's really a flawless show. It's like I can't have any of the criticisms of it. But I just I prefer the uh, I prefer Better Call Saul in general and the story it's trying to tell and the character that it's focusing on. I do too, and I think it's interesting how that I, I feel like it's funny. You always you say something like that, and you do feel like you need to qualify. Wait a minute, I'm not saying anything bad about Breaking Bad. Going against Breaking Bad is a you know you know what I mean. It's like The Godfather sucks. You know they they were at the top of their craft. And they rolled into this second show, and they just kind of knew what they were doing. And then, like, Bob Odenkirk is such a—there's something so exciting about watching him just explode as an actor. And, like, from the beginning, Better Call Saul was, like, a new level for him. And I feel like you felt everybody involved in this enterprise was probably energized by, oh, my God. We've got this amazing leading man who can do so much. And, like, what he can do is so different— then maybe I don't think Brian Cranston is limited as an actor, but I think that the, the I think that the the plan for the character of Walter White was a clear line, even though they 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 were famous for writing themselves into corners and improvising as they went. And like Walter White's transformation was much more like, oh, it's like a death march towards this guy becoming th- this version of himself that sort of reveals who he was all along. Whereas with Saul, we don't we never really knew who he was all along. So it's almost like the door is open for a different kind of arc. And I think it's more open and like you said, maybe even a character that you can root for more right. and hope for more. Uh, there's room for hope in Better Call Saul where there really wasn't room for hope in Breaking Bad. It, you're right. There is a darker trajectory. But I was going to say, to go just really quick on the metatextual nature of both of the shows... It is a bit unfair. Yeah. Like, from my experience in binging Breaking Bad and then binging Saul, 
I didn't know who Brian Cranston really. I mean, Brian Cranston. My relationship with him was Malcolm in the Middle, a show that I truly and utterly love, and he was honestly the best part of the show. Yeah, but he doesn't hold a candle to my love for Bob Odenkirk. You know, like Bob Odenkirk is one of those celebrities that you even remove the Breaking Bad verse. He has literally shaped who I am as a person with his work prior to that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. I love Bob Odenkirk. He didn't need to do any of this. <laughs> like, I, I loved him to death already. So I'm wondering if that isn't what warms me up a bit to it. I have to be open to the fact that that could also be at play here. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it is, I don't care. You like shows because you like actors. It's fine. Um, but what I was going to say is that with I think to some degree that um, – Breaking Bad sells itself on us slowly figuring out who Heisenberg is, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we get it. We get the through line. We get where it's going, like you just said. What I like about Better Call Saul is I'm still completely, even now in season six, completely unaware of who he is more morality-wise as a as a character, and I love it. I don't think that's a negative. I I don't think that's, you know, something that it's to be criticized i think it's intentional like jimmy mcgill is an enigma that i don't think we could figure out and i love that about the show you know i mean i think the person he lives with on the show is even still to this day in these episodes you know then the new episodes of the show is still trying to figure it out too and i love that well right and, and you're talking about kim and she's an enigma too kim I might be bad with names, I'll warn you that. With so many of the characters on this show, including Mike, but Kim and Jimmy, it's all about these degrees of what you think they might do. Like, the Jimmy that starts off this show kind of has his heart in the right place. Yeah. And then the, the, the Jimmy that we know as Saul on Breaking Bad, he casually suggests murdering people all the time to, like, fix problems. Like, one of the first things he does is suggest killing Badger, uh, who's like a beloved doofus. Yeah. Um... You know, but the, it's hard to picture Jimmy McGill suggesting that you just off Badger. Yeah. <laughs> so whether Saul is a performance or not, um, that's something that, you know, that's a level he hasn't sunk to yet. So we, we, we are expecting some kind of a snap. Mm-hmm. He still has these moral compunctions about things. He still kind of grimaces when, when things get nasty, you know, which is something that Saul Goodman never did. I think what I, my theory all along has been, we just didn't see it. Uh, that that Saul Goodman is second. The second that Jesse and Walt would leave, he would go, "Oh God, <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe I'm in this." And maybe even he would call Kim and say, "What should I do?" I mean, I don't think they need to play too fast and loose with that because I think keeping the story separate is important. But I think the fact that our timeline on Better Call Saul is definitely going is steering right into overlapping with with uh, Breaking Bad. I think I think we can trust these storytellers to make that interesting and not like fan service or whatever word you want to use for that kind of storytelling that seems motivated by like, you know, stunt casting of cameos. I don't think that's what they're going to do, but I do think they're going to give us some juice out of like, holy shit moments of realizing like, you know, I think they're going to put something in a new light from Breaking Bad. I don't know what it is yet, but I feel like something's going to seem different. It's it's one of those rare instances. Number one, maybe one of the most unique shows ever, because I can't think of another TV show that had a sequel show that was a prequel where you watch the actors get actually older before they get to their part where they're younger. Right. That's pretty weird. Yeah. But also, this is, I mean, there's, there is a function of Better Call Saul that is pretty much fan service but with a point 
Yeah. Like it, it's actually like functionally good fan service because fan service is generally considered negative, right? Right. I mean, like, but there's a part, this show never feels like it's uh, cheap. The fan service doesn't feel cheap. Right. And even when it is fan service, it's like incredible. Like, like I don't feel like I've been duped, you know? Like, even like my favorite part of this show is probably Lalo. Uh, am I saying that right? I think I am. Uh, Lalo. Uh, Close. Lalo. <laughs> and he's what? He's mentioned in Breaking Bad. I feel like it's something that should just be in the opening of this show because we talk about that scene so much and increasingly now we talk about it. But there's, yeah, the moment in Breaking Bad is that Saul Goodman, when when he first is taken out to the desert by Walt and Jesse who are trying to you know shake him down, he doesn't know who has him yet. And he says, who sent you? Was it Lalo? And then he says, that wasn't me. It was Ignacio. So in that moment, he's afraid that Lalo's after him and he's throwing Nacho under the bus. And I always wondered, like, what's the motivation? Because I, I still think that Saul, like I said, my theory is that Saul is still Jimmy, is still Saul, is still Jimmy, is still Saul. Like, my theory is that what we're going to find out is that while he was acting like Saul, he was still Jimmy. And whatever that means, that doesn't mean he hasn't turned a corner. It just means that there's still someone in there who's like looking for something better or is hoping for some way out of this. I don't feel on Better Call Saul that there's much, there's a separation between Jimmy and Saul. I don't feel that. I feel like it's just a name, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I don't, I don't know if that's, uh, if that's how you feel, but to me, like, I'm not waiting for the transition of personality or life. I'm, I think it's going to be a decision. I think he's the guy that we, we meet, you know, like, I, I just think it's a decision on where he goes, he, who he leaves behind is what I'm waiting for. It's not how he changes himself. Well, yeah, I mean, Saul is an extension of the kind of showy, flashy, self-aggrandizing side of Jimmy's personality that's been there all along. So you, you see that flash of like what would later be the performance of Saul all the time in Jimmy. Um, and I think the show is sort of explicitly stated as it's about that journey. But no, I think you're right, just in the sense that he is who he is. Saul's kind of like, it's that whole question of like, what's the secret identity and what's the real identity, you know? Right. I, I think all that's missing for him to become, quote unquote, Saul is a certain level of isolation and a certain level of like buying into this persona to the extent that he has a golden toilet and that he has all these like, that go beyond just the pose of like appearing to be this guy. Right. That at some point it seems that Kim is gone and he's got all this lavish garbage. To me, I think that's the real moment of not so much transformation, but of like what you said exactly. Like what does he have to leave behind or who has to leave him behind right. for him to be the, the seemingly isolated guy that we meet on Breaking Bad? And I think it's it's kind of, I don't, I'm not trying to make it simple, but it is. Kind of, it seems like it's all going to a place of sim- simplicity as in Kim is his heart. And he's going to lose his heart and become the guy we meet in Breaking Bad. Right. I don't know how he's going to lose his heart. But when, but without Kim, he'd be... I mean, that's really the difference. But I still believe he's the same guy. But as we all know, you, you know, you lose your partner in life. You change to yeah. some degree, right? Like, and sometimes your morality changes. I think that's maybe where what people are waiting for, I guess. I, I, I think that is what we expect the story to be, is that we're going to see whatever happens that pushes him to the point where he's comfortable working for these people like Gus and that he's like, that he knows he's in league with them and he's comfortable with it. And that when a problem happens, he calls Mike to clean it up. And that Mike doesn't turn him away and say, Jimmy, are you sure you want to do this? Mike now says, sure, 
you know, uh, tell me where. And in fact, in this episode, which we should get to now, the third yeah. episode of the sixth season, which is called Rock and Hard Place, which follows the pattern of names this year. The first one was Wine and Roses. The second one was Carrot and Stick. Right. Uh, so yeah, Rock and Hard Place, great description. But in this episode, Kim t- says to him, she poses it to him in simple terms. Like, you've, you've, you've tangled with the cartel. You're now involved with them. So now you have two choices. You can be a friend to the cartel or you can be a rat. And like that, that's not an easy question, the way she poses it or the way this story it is expected to maybe fold it out. But I feel like that moment is like, wow, he, that's true. He can't, he's already, he can't say backsies. He's in. Right. Yeah, he's in. He's yeah. gone. He's buried. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. What does he do from here on out? And Kim realizes that because she had that intense moment with the, with the DA where, I mean, that was a great moment where she's realizing, I think that, that the actress, Ray Seahorn uh, and and the character Kim Wexler are good at maintaining a poker face. Very good. And I think that she was very good at like lawyerly poker face. That meeting with the DA, she didn't betray what she's thinking at all. But that also means she's not really betraying to us. But we felt a certain kind of chill come over her when this this just re- remembering they're connected to this world. But they think Lalo's dead. We know he's not. That's a pretty interesting way for us to be ahead of them. Um, yeah, the audience is. I was. I was thinking that too. The audience is ahead of Jimmy. Yeah, on his own show. Yeah, right. That's an interesting point of view to have. No, in one crucial way. I mean, that's a kind of thing yeah. On 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 um, on one of your podcasts, writers block writer writers block- blockbusters. The most confusing name. Writers ever, blockbusters. Yeah. Yes. No, I get the writer's block joke, but it's mm-hmm. it's like I it took me forever. You know what? It's, it reminds me of how it took me forever to recognize that uh, the David Bowie album "Space Oddity" was a parody of 2001: A Space Odyssey. Space Odyssey. Like yeah. it just never occurred to me that it came out like within a year or so, and that it would have been like a cheeky, you know, title that refers to it. You're looking at it from afar. That's yeah, why. right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but on that show, you talk a lot about these kind of tropes and things, and like the way mm-hmm. that writers kind of tease you along. And I do think that is something you notice on the show: the idea of okay, here we are ahead of them. You know, that's that's a tactical thing for them to be doing because it means it the dread that we feel, the trap they're kind of stepping into. Whatever they do, thinking that Lalo's dead is surely going to bite them in the ass when he shows up. It's going to come crashing down on Jimmy at some point. And maybe that, whatever happens with that, maybe that, I feel like Lalo, I have such trouble with his name, Lalo is going to come back with a vengeance in this season because we're never seeing him again after the season. So... You know, he's going to come back with a vengeance. The fact that what you're talking about, the fact that we're ahead of Jimmy, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. Lalo being fake dead. Yeah. That's the key right there. Remember, it's coming back. Well, it puts him in a position to be like the Terminator because right. now no one really knows to expect him. And now the only person that seems to know that he's alive, I guess now Mike must know it because Gus intuited it after his meeting with Hector and Balsa and everything like he he could tell that Hector had a little little spark in his eye or something there was something that Hector was to put was putting on the wrong show and Gus saw through it and realized Hector wouldn't be acting like this if Lala was dead so right, like right. but we don't know what any of that means but it does feel like all these characters that we know survive are about to come head to head so Lala's the scariest one but he's the only one i mean he and Kim are the only ones who seem like they can really die or you know face those types of consequences because we know at the beginning of breaking bad pretty much everybody's in the spot that they're in now i mean like uh like like hierarchy wise yeah right gus is entrenched with with uh with mike um the salamancas the cousins are you know coming in when they're needed to to blow people away and hector's that you know the the head of all that so i don't know i mean the pieces the pieces to be moved are kim 
Lalo and I guess Hamlin, right? Right. Well, he's a, he's an interesting one. I was thinking about characters. He's kind of a side quest, isn't he? He is, but he's not because I think what he is is that like he's the side quest that has now come back in a big way. Like this season, Hamlin is is clearly a big part of what they're doing, at least with like the morality of what Jim and Kim. Jimmy, I, I keep wanting to say Jim and Kimmy, <laughs> but that those two, like the, the, they seem to be trading off who's the driving force behind their kind of moral decline. Like she has a moment of doubt and he's the one saying, no, I think it worked. But I think more so she's got this driven quality and really adherence to a plan. And he's got this kind of love of the game that comes and goes with like, he doesn't feel Thinking on his feet, but he's not as invested maybe in the outcome as he is in the fun, yeah. the thrill. And she's more invested. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't like to win. I'm just saying if there's a difference, you see that he actually has this weird sort of softness about some of the stuff that might be required of him. And she doesn't have that, but she also has maybe a line she doesn't want to cross that he doesn't have that. He's not careful in that way, mm. you know? So it's an interest. They seem doomed to, to rip apart. I do think this show in some ways is a love story. It may be a tragic love story, but I do think that like the key to how this show could be different from what happened on Breaking Bad uh, and everything else is in that. In their relationship? If this show's going to break our hearts, it's going to be by the, by what happens in that area. I, so, yeah, I have no clue what's going to happen, obviously. But my, my 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 assumption, which, you know, make an ass out of you and me, right, <laughs> um, is that Jimmy is going to reveal his true nature, finally. You know, after six seasons of her literally just staring at him, wondering <laughs> what he is... He's going to do something truly terrible, and she will leave. She will leave. I mean, I, I hope it's more that than it is her getting killed. A lot of people think she might end up in prison uh, for something he does. That, that could be, too. I don't think they're going to kill her. I think these I writers think are too yeah. smart about what they've created with her character. And I think that like the whole idea, everybody knows what fridging is now. Um, if you're listening and you don't, just look it up. It's a it's a storytelling trope that got overused. Deadpool too. And uh, well, right. But I mean, people that don't maybe don't believe it's a problem probably weren't focusing on the roles of the female characters in stories. But if you've ever given that much thought, you you notice that like there's countless wives that are there just to seem adorable and then die to make the hero have something to avenge, you know. And and it's great that this show sidestepped that by having her be like a friend that it's they that you don't even know at the beginning of better call Saul if they've already had some kind of relationship you don't really know she's this really solid character that stands on her own two legs which is which is great i'd argue that if she did die that would not be an example of fridging because no way would i consider saul of breaking bad to be a character that grew and learned things so you know what i mean like it, it's not it's not i know what you're saying like no no i'm not saying that they should do that i'm just saying that fridging is usually like him to go on a quest to become better and to fight you know the evil that that's that's uh scorn him but that wouldn't be what happened in breaking bad with jimmy right you know he kind of just he became a scumbag, <laughs> you know? Well, like, I, But I think it's an interesting thing because it's like back to what we were saying earlier. Did he really become a scumbag or did he just play a scumbag on TV so much that eventually when Kim leaves, that's all that's left? Like at, cert at a certain point, he chooses scumbaggery over Kim. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Um, I, I really don't like the prison idea because it, I don't like the idea of her being in prison throughout Breaking Bad. I, 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 you know what I mean? Like it doesn't feel so, it doesn't feel efficient in that way. I know that that Breaking Bad isn't Jimmy's story, but I don't like the thought of watching Breaking Bad thinking Kim is in prison and that 
<laughs> we don't see that affecting Jimmy. I don't know why. Like, I'd rather her leave and say, like, you know, her definitively be done with Jimmy and truly leave and be like, we'll never see me again, and that's it. And then he that can be his, you know, I that to me, I want it to be of her own volition why she's never shown up. I prefer that. I, I, I can see that. I think it's a good point that they could totally do because, um, and it's another thing I must point out every time I do one of these, is that where she says she's from is very close to Cinnabon Jean's location. Right, right. He could very easily, one of those vignettes could be him going to find Kim. Right. And that would fit in with what we know. So her leaving, where would she go? Maybe back to where she's from. Right. I think the main thing is some kind of consequence that doesn't take her off the table as a character just seems like the way they're going to go. I just don't think they've been building her up to let her be like, let's sacrifice her to push Jimmy forward. That just doesn't feel like what they've been doing at all. Let's just throw all the new carriers in a blender at the end of a wood chipper. Just push them in and we're done. Right. And breaking bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, it doesn't matter at all. No, I, tr- I trust them completely. Whatever they, 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 I'm sure they had a plan for Kim from day one. I mean, these guys are, these guys are pretty genius. So, I trust. I just I just don't like the prison idea cuz it it everything so far in Better Call Saul, this episode included, has made Breaking Bad better. Yes. And I feel like her rotting in prison while Jimmy knows about it makes Breaking Bad worse. Slightly, but it still makes it worse. Because because you would not be able to take pleasure in Saul Goodman's right. weaseliness yes. because he seems to be taking pleasure right. in it. And if he was doing that while she was in prison, it would ruin it. It would make him seem really cold. Yes. I, I may have once tried to predict what was going to happen, but I, I seldom do anymore because even if it's what you expect and even if it's what they tell you is going to happen, which I think is what we're about to get to in this third episode, even if it's like something that seems inevitable that you're watching, you still are surprised by how it unfolds mm-hmm. on this yeah. show. Um, but uh, so, yeah, we'll see what happens with with that side of the storyline down in uh, in Mexico, uh, where Nacho has been, you know, in hiding and on the run basically all season. We saw a very, very grim bit of storytelling that was um, I mean, like I said, it was exactly what they said they were going to they kind of set out like this is the trajectory for this character. This is the this is where he's going. But I still think they wrung some great suspense and some great character moments. And in fact, some really, really powerful images and scenes out of. The end of the road uh, for Nacho Varga. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been with the show pretty much since the beginning. I think he first appeared in the second episode that was called Nacho. And, um, he, you know, I, I would love to have seen him interact more with Jimmy over the course of the series. But that would be my only real complaint about that is that this show at times has been like, oh, the Mike show and the Jimmy show and the Kim show and the Nacho show. And and it doesn't always weave it together. But but Nacho's show has been a pretty interesting and and tragic Story. If I had to, as as somebody that has come to all this late, if I had to criticize, and it's not really criticism because like it's not bad, you know, it's great. There are times where Better Call Saul turns into the Breaking Bad Breaking Bad prequel, you know, and yeah. it. I mean, like like I said, it's fan service with a point. It makes all those characters better, but there are moments where I'm like, this has literally nothing to do with Saul Goodman. At all, you know, and, and yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't make that worse. Uh, Nacho's some of his story is part of that for me. I love Nacho. I'm down to watch the, this Nacho TV show. But there's part of me that's like, there's some of this that is not affecting anything. 
that Jimmy's doing or experiencing. Yeah. So, you know, it's a little bit like, why are, why are we watching Mandalorian episodes on Boba Fett? You know what I mean? There's a, it's a little <laughs> bit of that, but I can forgive all that. But th- this episode was obviously, I mean, it should be a nacho episode, you know? Like, it's... yeah. It's the end, right? Um, I loved I loved the images of the tank. I'll say that I, I loved that whole sequence, uh, the hiding in the gas tank thing. That was just mm-hmm. I thought it was brilliantly done. I know I agree that that scene was like visually so cool, but also like I said, the way they they did not trick you. There wasn't any like twist or any secret surprise or any. You know what I mean? This this was like oh, it seems like Nacho's gonna have a hard time getting away from this predicament that he's in because you know all these forces, Gus, the Salamancas, Lalo. Um, I know Lala's a Salamanca, but he feels separate because at this point he's out there being a, a pretend dead man who's who's doing whatever he's doing. I, I feel like there's all these elements where it's like, okay, anyone that runs across Nacho is going to kill him, you know, he, it's or they're going to hand him over to someone that's going to torture him and then kill him. It's interesting to see a character like Nacho kind of run out of road the way that he does. Like he kind of runs out of options and there's this decision he makes in this episode to like the only... It seems that he, at least he believes the only way that his dad will ever be safe is if he gives himself up. And there's this real, this moment where you can see that he realizes his dad will never run away with him, that his dad is never going to take the fake ID and go to another country and take the money or whatever. His dad is just never going to do that. He's never, and that's the only way he could be safe with his dad would be like, come with me. To disappear and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And he can't disappear without taking care of his dad because it, then his dad would never be safe. You know, if he disappeared, then all the forces that are going against him would hit his dad. So I don't know. I mean, that is obvious, but the way that we slowly see it happen, it's, it is truly tragic. And it's like when he makes the decision, I feel like somewhere in that con- conversation with his father on the phone, he makes the decision that, okay, I'm not going to run. And it is almost an act of love then. And it's, I mean, it's like a Jesus story. I mean, it really is like they threw so much Jesus imagery Mm -hmm. into this episode. The idea that he has kind of a last supper, the idea that there's this sort of like, he's, he's beaten up and roughed up before he's taken to his execution. He's executed in this official way in front of all these people. The sacrifice nature of that was just so powerful. It's so good. What I, what I love about uh, the way that they, they did this is that it's unique. The unique dynamic of him. Uh, number, I mean, the dad stuff is incredible, but the unique dynamic of him agreeing to take the fall, and how the, and how those scenes, the dynamic between him and Mike and Gus, and just like he knows exactly why he's there, and it's all very like at at every point. I was like. Are we going to see Nacho try to get out of this? Is he going to try to like kill Gus and Mike? We know they live, but I was like, you know what I mean? When is Nacho going to, his plan that we don't know about, going to be executed? And then it turns out that he didn't actually have a plan. Right. He went with it all the way up until he's not going to run. He's just going to kill himself. And I was like, up until the moment he shoots himself in the head, I actually didn't know what was happening. I was like, what is Nacho's plan? Because I still always kind of had a little bit of faith that Nacho was going to try to get out of this. He was going to try to figure his way out, like you just said. Like, there was something that I was missing. And then I was like, no. Right. I, I was missing nothing. He knew he was going to die. And then the last minute, he just changed the way it happened. And I was like, all right. Like, that. that's the kind of writing you get on the show. You know what I mean? Like, the weird-ass dynamic of, like, having to sit there with those guys being like, yep, we're all just waiting to take me to die. We get it. And I'm doing it for you because I'm trying to keep my dad safe. It's really fucking weird. Mm-hmm. It's a weird dynamic of a couple of scenes. Yeah, and it is. Then, and then just him 
subverting the way that he was going to die and also subverting the fact that I thought he was going to try to weasel his way out of it or escape or kill everybody or something, you know, did not happen. So, well, I mean, they had Mike kind of having a sort of scheme with him, but I took Mike's scheme to be, I'll make sure you die before they take you off to torture you. Right, like, right. That was the sort of deal that Nacho had made with them, which is if you don't end up dying, I'll make sure you don't get tortured. That's what. That's the way I read it anyway. No, no, it was. They showed those torture instruments specifically for this reason. Yeah. And obviously Mike said it. You're right. He said, he said you need yeah. to run. Because if you run, it yeah. gives them a reason to shoot. Can I ask you? Can I ask you something? I because yeah, I don't know if there's something that I missed. I only watched this episode once, but you know how the opening was the slow pan of all the scenery around where Nacho eventually dies, and then it and, yeah. and then it ends up on the piece of glass, right? Am I not? Am I? It's just a right. piece of glass, right? Yeah. Is this? It's just the piece of glass that Nacho had that that he, that he got out of the waste basket in Gus's office from when Gus was frazzled and broke the glass, right? And then he stabs the guy at the end to do yeah. what he has to do yeah i mean am i miss is now that it was significant of and a callback or a foreshadow for this episode but is it a foreshadow for something else in saul or breaking bad that i'm not aware of it's not really so i think the text there is like this flower this you know this life this everlasting life or you know it's a it's where nacho lay dying and now there's a flower there okay. i kind of feel okay. like that could have been the symbolism there is is you know Simple, I guess, but that's maybe why that was there. Yeah, I was worried. I was like, "Am I supposed to?" Is it like a thing that I forgot from the other seasons already? <laughs> that's all. I was just saying. That's why I was asking. I always wonder that too, but I don't think so. But I, I, I still had to put together. Oh yeah, the shard of glass, and that like now that makes that you know it becomes a little bit. It's it's cool the cause and effect of Gus is frazzled because of this situation. Right. He breaks a glass. He we, you know you wonder why they're lingering on him cleaning it up. It's in the waste paper basket. They don't show Nacho getting the glass. They show a shot of him shot as though it's up from the trash can up through the glass. <laughs> like the way that show works, it's like they 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 really do count on you kind of getting what's going on and filling in the blank sometimes. Um, but no, I liked the way that worked, and I think that in the end, when it got to the very end, he realized it was it was, it kind of gave a serene quality to the nature of Nacho's demise because it was sort of like this guy's life. There was never a time where Nacho wasn't stressed out or being batted around by these forces larger than him. And I love that at the end, his his demise is on his own terms. And he's standing in front of, and I, I did the math, every one of those guys is dead. Like, we've seen all those guys die already. Right, right. So it's like, these guys who are standing over him, he, he in a weird way, he gets the last laugh because he gets to sort of look him in the face and say, you're fucked, and then blow his brains out. And I'm not trying to be glib about suicide at all, but I think there's no more powerful gesture than to do <laughs> that. someone, you're fucked, and then taking yourself out. Like, so you're me, saying that this character, the death of Nacho was literally like the foreshadowing of everyone else in the scene. It's like he cursed, he cursed them. them. Yeah, it's yeah. like he it's like he cursed them and doomed them and said like and he's like younger than all of them it seems. I mean, I don't know. There's something about the youngest man, the most vulnerable man, the most abused and exploited man who also was bad and did mm -hmm. bad things and was, you know, a traitor to his bosses several times that we saw. But like the fact that he got to tell Hector what the real cause of his predicament was and the fact that he got to sort of out Gus 
in a way without outing him. And like he got to tease Gus with how vulnerable Gus felt when it looked like Nacho might be about to point the finger at him. I don't know. Everybody there knew like it's it was a weird way for the power to shift to the guy who's about to die that none of those guys could have been prepared for the kind of the piece he was going to take out of their whole thing as he went down. Because, you know, now everybody's rattled. Do you also feel like, um, like you said earlier, uh, Notch, you wish Nacho had more interaction with Jimmy. I do too. But, mm-hmm. you know, part of me after watching this episode was like, maybe there's like a bigger, like, like maybe they want us to stand back a little bit. And Nacho's entire story in this show is sort of like, the most symbolic through line of we can see the type of world that Jimmy is responsible for propagating and defending. Like Jimmy yeah. defends all these people in one way or another. You know, like he like this is the world of Jimmy. And Nacho is only tangentially there, but he is a good example of like this is the world, the sick world that Jimmy is totally fine with being a part of sometimes, you know? Jimmy's in the office counting the money while these guys are out actually on the field dying, right? Ruining people's lives, yeah. including people like Nacho. Right, right. I love that. I thought you were even going to go a different way that I also like, though, which is that there's a parallel almost that like Jimmy and Nacho both start at the beginning of the series as these sort of like maybe they're flawed. They're both like trying to do they're trying to do schemes and stuff, but they're but they're not like like they both are dipping further and further into their worlds, you know? They're not overtly evil. Right. At the beginning. Yeah. But they're both people who don't seem to be able to sit still with and, and protect a good thing if they ever have a good thing. They don't seem to know how to stop and, and you know, Nacho seems screwed from the beginning just because he's already involved in this thing. And I, even when I was a kid and I watched crime stories, I used to think, oh God, I would, I could never get involved with a crime thing because I would be so afraid of that you can't get out part of it, you know? And I think Nacho has always felt like a hunted man. And in this episode, we saw the end of that for him. There was something that um, the actor said, he's been doing lots of press and I've, I've caught up with some of it and I'm going to make sure I get this quote right. Uh, he says that to Nacho, and this was Michael Mando, that actor that, that played Nacho, he said to Nacho, sacrifice is an honorable thing. That's why he does it on his feet and not on his knees. That's good. If you listen to Michael Mando talk about Nacho, the thought that goes into this character, he had input on the storyline. He said that like the guy who wrote and directed this episode, Gordon Smith, I think is his name, um, that, that they felt like they were kind of given the keys to the Lamborghini because this was sort of a standalone episode in a way. Like telling the story of the end of Nacho was kind of a little meditation on on Nacho's, you know, just running out of options and embracing, not not running, not 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 trying to weasel out, not begging for his life with his hands up the way that Jimmy would do, right, probably. Right, right, right. Like Jimmy would live to weasel out another day, and we love characters like that. Sure. But maybe Nacho's a guy who that's not the way he's going to go out, especially not in this moment where he he now knows... The only way to protect his dad is to to end this, and the only way to end this is to give himself up, and you know, for Gus. Um, but I don't know. I just think that 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 interesting idea of that there's that much thought going into this character and giving respect to the way that he was killed. He he in, he insisted that his last meal not be like something he ate with his hands. He wanted it to be with uh, mm-hmm. utensils. And he wanted him to have salt and pepper in front of him because he wanted it to be clear that this meal was not about sustenance. This meal was about enjoying right, something. Right. Uh, the, you know, and 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 just thought like that that goes into like why this show has impact and why these things that you know we've seen the crime story, but they're going to take it and they're going to shoot it interestingly, 
uh, and they're going to find great actors. You know, everything about it is just, you were talking about the scene in the tanker. Maybe we should talk a little bit about that. That feels like it's got conceptual value for the character of Nacho. He has this kind of like almost baptism in oil, but also just the staging of it and the tension mm-hmm. of it. It's kind of ingeniously done, but they had to devise that and figure out a rig and, you know, like so much goes into a, a deceptively simple scene like that. Well, um, do, you, do you know what I like most is that I thought that that scene made the scene with the father on the phone all the more powerful. And the reason is, mm-hmm. is because I feel like without the love of his father, that would have been his showdown there, right there. Like, I feel like he would have right. tried to either take them down or run or I don't know. He would have tried more than to just hide. But he knew that he had to call his father. Right. So, like, that's why that scene means so much is, like, because he knew he cannot die right here. Like, that, you know what I mean? Like, like I, yeah. I, I came to that after the episode was over, but... No, that's that's really yeah. important because you're right. Why would Why would he not just feel like... This is the best because he was about to stage the final. Like I'm just going yeah, to try yeah, to take just, these guys out, and they'll get right, me if they get me. Right. right. Like I feel like another. I feel like Nacho is definitely the type of guy in another situation who would have like waited for the one dude to poke his head through the hole and then rip him down, try to beat him up, take his yeah. gun. That was all not an option because he has to live. Like so, you know. So mm-hmm. he, and I, you know, he's like, I guess, drowning under oil is just a slightly more chance of not happening than the fight. I, you know. But yeah, no, that whole that whole sequence was absolutely great. Because also I was thinking like, yeah, he has no clue when he can actually come up. And I'm sure you can't hear anything under oil, right? It's like right. it's got to be complete silence. It's like sensory deprivation underneath oil, right? I was thinking like would the fumes knock you out or kill you in that time? I mean, I'm not tr- I'm not trying to nitpick the science of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying I wonder in life how quickly you would just pass out and die if you were under if you were submerged in oil i wonder if i'm i'm sure that the uh writers did their due diligence to say hey could a guy survive being under oil for what uh, 90 seconds was it 90 about some a minute 90 seconds something like that yeah but what you're watching that episode thinking is like oh my god how is he going how's he going to get out of this yeah. you know and so it almost felt like a surprise that there wasn't a surprise uh and and yet that last scene had such impact like once you kind of felt where it was going I think that his final words to everybody were just so like if such if such a badass <laughs> kind of speech. Him? You think the chicken man? <laughs> what a joke! Alvarez has been paying me for years, years. But you know what? I would have done it for free because I hate every last one of you, psycho sacks of shit. I opened Lalo's gate, and I would do it again, and I'm glad what they did to him. He's a soulless pig, and I wish I killed him with my own hands. And you know what else, Hector? I put you in that chair. Oh, yeah, your heart meds. I switched them for sugar pills. You were dead and buried, and I had to watch this asshole bring you back. So when you are sitting in your shitty nursing home and you're sucking down on your jello night after night for the rest of your life, you think of me, you twisted fuck. I, I liked what you said, too, about, um, I think there's another parallel there. Like, Nacho's kind of the anti-Jimmy, you know? Like, uh, this feels like the big, the big, he's not a villain. This feels like the big death so far, you know? And 
Yeah. What you just said, like we watched this scene, which was once again, we've seen Jimmy in a scene like this where it's men in a desert setting holding guns on two other guys or something. And then Jimmy finds a way to weasel himself out. Nacho, number one, he he's not capable of that. Number one, he wouldn't even try. You know, he's going to go out as, you know, with honor and his own way. He's the anti Jimmy. Like, this is the guy right. who. This is what, you know what I mean? Neither of them share anything in this situation. Maybe that's what we're supposed to take from it. Like, like, see, here's what this guy does, you know? And we've seen Jimmy in this situation how many times do the exact opposite. <laughs> I feel like right. he's been in that situation so many times at this point through all, for both shows, you know? And, and Nacho is just like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, I'm going out my way. I'm going to say something cool right before I shoot myself in the head. You know? and, uh, but yeah, exactly. To recognize recognize these out of options and recognize like this is the best way to do it. And also, again, the whole thing about protecting his dad. Like, I think if that wasn't part of it, Nacho would, like you said, he would fight. He would fight as much as he could fight. It's another like friction with Jim- with the character of Jimmy, right? Like the parallel thing. Nacho actually, do- his heart is actually his father. And everything he did up until this point had to do with his father. I feel like... Something we're going to see how Jimmy does not make the same emotional sacrifices for Kim. There's mm-hmm. something about that. He's not going to do the thing like not like he might not even say bye to her or something like that. You know what I mean? Like he to him, that's not the concern in this of the upcoming moment or whatever it is of his actual maybe demise. He doesn't think of Kim. He thinks of his own ass. You know, and and then she finds out, mm-hmm. or I don't know. I have no clue how it's going to unfold. But you know what I mean. I can see it having some kind of almost oppositional parallel to Nacho. Right. They, they wouldn't. They, this feels like it. You know, it's supposed. We're supposed to remember it, and it's going to have something big to do with Jimmy, like thematically. I, I don't know if Jimmy's ever going to find out that this happened, but you know, it seems like maybe he should though because. His for his line in the desert, it seems like maybe he knows Nacho's dead to say that wasn't me, it was Nacho, because that's like a safe bet to throw a guy under the bus if he's dead. Right. Um, but again, we just don't know how manipulative Jimmy right, is. Right, right. I guess for some part of me hopes that it's not that cold that Jimmy actually like shuns Kim, but I could definitely see the moment where, it, like, we, we've seen it already, where they have a sort of agreed upon thing, and then he makes a unilateral call right, right. that fucks shit up. I, I could see that being a, kind of the same thing you just described, the same beat, where it's like he chose the 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 scheme, the the joy of the whatever, the, you know, that there's a moment where, where he goes against what they did, and it, especially if there are consequences for her. I think that's why people mention prison, not because they want that story solution, but that her having consequences that make him into like the architect of what happens to her, but not taking her off, not killing her. I think people are looking for that that other option. But if she does spend time in prison, I do think this story needs to show us her out of prison. You know what I mean? I don't think the ending with her rotting in prison is satisfying. Yeah, yeah, But yeah, yeah I hope that, uh, so there's some part of me that still hopes for those crazy kids to to figure something out. But I, yeah, something has to happen that breaks that up. I got it. I know it's going to happen. Is that uh, Gus, one of Gus's like drug minions is going to figure out the, uh, you know, the fountain of youth uh, serum. <laughs> He's going to give it to all the people in the show to make them 10 years younger. And Kim actually ingests way too much and becomes a baby. <laughs> and then and then Jimmy has to put her into an adoption agency, and we never see her again. We never see her again. That's... And then Breaking Bad, 
Goes right in. They're all younger. <laughs> Talk about a tragic love story. <laughs> I I keep thinking it's gonna be so funny if they. I mean, you know, it's like the aging thing is funny to me. Yeah. Even though I know I I can forgive it. It's just really weird, you know, because we've never seen this before. Well, I think that I think that it's wise that they have not tried to do much about it. Young, yeah, youngify. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. no, I I don't. Yeah. I don't want to see that. I'm just saying that. It's rare to ever watch a television show that's a prequel with like a ten year span of difference. Right. Like like And it spends this much Bob time Kirk- close ups of people's faces. And and yeah, right. the, the definition has gotten better. You know what I mean? We now see more than we ever did before. <laughs> I mean, Bob and Mike, they they don't look the same. Yeah. yeah. And it's okay. It's natural human aging. It's just cool to me that everybody is just down with accepting it because mm-hmm. it's not something we've ever seen before. I wonder if other shows will ever attempt this, if this will ever be a thing we'll see again. I was I was joking with my wife uh, after watching this episode that the last episode of Better Call Saul is going to be Jonathan Banks saying, all right, I'm going to go get a chemical peel. <laughs> right. I'm tired of, <laughs> I'm tired of these spots. <laughs> I mean, you know, that'd be fine with me. If they did a little joke like that, because we're great, because if you, because you could, I'm assuming the amount of time it's going to literally overlap, yeah. right? It has to. I feel like this show's, I feel, I feel like this show's going to literally butt into it. Then it's like, it's just like 10 years of aging downwards. Well, we, <laughs> know? we know that Walt and Jesse are going to be somewhere in this season. Like they've announced that without saying how. But yeah, yeah, yeah. They have said, we're just going to stop. They don't want to play the game that you always have to play of acting like you don't know. Like they didn't want Aaron Paul. They don't want to do Spider Man No Way Home. Well, I heard someone say they didn't want Aaron Paul to have to do an Andrew Garfield thing of answering questions in that way of like, yeah, like they just didn't want actors to have to. Plus, it's like, why hide it? You know, the the big surprise is going to be how they do it. Also, it's not a movie. It's not based on box office. Just yeah. Okay, they're going to be in the Breaking Bad universe. Okay, I I would assume they would be in it. Same here. Well, Bob, in, in, any parting thoughts uh, before we see that? I can't wait to see that. I think that you're right about that Fountain of Youth thing. I honestly, I had no theories, but now I have one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the Bob Rose version of Better Call Saul that everybody hates. So I, please, for the love of God, don't do that. Um, my parting thoughts are just still the show's still phenomenal. It hasn't had a bad season. This episode included um, R.I.P. Not. It's actually... I'm actually mad at them for not just doing this later. Yeah, I wish they could have waited. I mean, I would like more of Nacho. There's something he's such a great actor, and you know, it's like they they found all these actors that are just so meditative with their eyes. Like half of the show is people staring, and I'm like riveted at their staring. You know, yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but uh, it's just yeah, it's sad to see him go because he literally knows how to say a whole sentence with his eyes, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm not saying that because I'm, like, in love with him or something. I'm just being, like, the guy's he's just very expressive. And uh, he was a great part of the show. And I feel like this death is going to thematically make waves. Yes. Yeah. For the characters as well, but definitely it's, we will be thinking yeah. about Nacho, you're right. For, for the for audience. The of the season. I think yeah. for us, yeah. yeah, I really do. I think, like you, I think for the reasons you said too, like everyone there is dead. Nacho was like the canary in the coal mine mm-hmm. for Breaking Bad and for all the bad guys in Breaking Bad, you know? Yeah. Like they didn't listen, and this is where you all end up, you know? I mean, and that ending, it's a little bit of a... Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, I'm out kind of moment. You know what I mean? It really is. <laughs> right, like We all, right, right. as grim as it is, there is some immense power in seeing somebody uh, take control of their destiny like that. So, Yeah, yeah. 
Definitely. Very good. All right, Bob, well, where can people find you online? And should they? Um, uh, no, don't find me. I have nothing to say. <laughs> uh, my podcast is called Thundergrunt, so that's available, Thundergrunt, available wherever you listen to your podcasts, also on YouTube. I'm at ThundergruntBob on Instagram and Twitter, and all my links are in my profiles, so you can just, there you go. All right. Well, thanks again. Maybe Maybe you can come back and talk. Again, uh, before the show's completely over, there's uh, ten episodes left. So I'm, I'm. You tell me, and I'm gonna. I, I kept up to date because of this. So, <laughs> but I'm gonna keep. But now I'm, I'm hooked. So yeah. I'll, you just let me know, and I'll be here. So I've never had a sign off for these, but we're trying out. Saw you later. Oh, can I not say it? Is that okay? No, I'm not gonna make you. <laughs> For more episodes of Saul Searching and other podcasts like it, subscribe to FYIZ on your favorite podcatcher app. 